All right, all right. It's Friday evening again. Welcome to the show, Disability Law Show. Savan Tamarkin, co-founding partner, Samfiru Tamarkin, LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country, of course, is here. And our good pal, Albert Klein, also representing from the firm. You want to reach out to either of these fellas and their amazing team that they have behind them. Here's how you do it. The phone number, obviously, toll-free, one 855 Email that we're going to get into shortly, help at disabilityrights.ca and for more free answers and questions uh, questions and answers rather about LTD and injuries you can use this website again free and anonymous really simple to navigate called mydisabilityquestions.com the beauty of that one is that it's a searchable database so your question or one very similar to yours that you have in mind may have been asked and answered in the past we'll save you a few minutes if not leave it there and one of the team will get to it again mydisabilityquestions.com we're going to get into our discussion of quote-unquote Invisible injuries. What's that all about? We'll uh, we'll get into it. But first, Savan, good to have you back on a Friday, pal. The uh, the week that was the case of the day. What do you got? Uh, what do you got going on? Hey, John. Good to be with you and with our listeners. Let me start off by uh, telling you about an interesting call that I had earlier this week uh, with a lady um, just uh, living north of the GTA. She and her family rented a cottage up in Aurelia uh, for the summer, like many people do. Uh, and so she rented it for, I believe it was a, a, a weekend. Um, and they got there. The, the cottage was great. It was beautiful, um, close to the lake, except that apparently um, the uh, uh, door to the basement, uh, which they were not warned about, uh, had um, uh, w- was not locked. And mm. when you actually enter the basement, when you open the door, uh, what you see is the the um, uh, stairs leading down downstairs are, are very steep. There, there's no there's no uh, a rail. There's nothing to hold on to, uh, and so it's very very dangerous. The problem though is not even that. The problem is that it's close to the door to the bathroom, and so what happened was that uh, on one of the days that they were there, her husband and by the way they're mid fifties in their mid fifties. Uh, the husband uh, um, works a, a labor intensive job. He's in a warehouse. Uh, eight to ten hours a day, uh, so he's always on his feet. Right. He goes in the middle of the night to the washroom, and he confuses the doors, and he opens the door to the basement. Oh and my you god! Can, you can appreciate what happened. He basically stumbles all the way down, and he ends up breaking his left leg. And it's a very severe injury. It's 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 an injury to his knee. Uh, it's an injury just above the knee as well. He had to have surgery. And now they're talking about the fact that he's going to have a permanent impairment to his leg, and he's going to have mobility issues. And all that kind of stuff. And as you can imagine, this is extremely, extremely frustrating for them. It's very aggravating. They're very upset by it. He's in tremendous pain. Uh, it's also ruined some other vacation plans they had for the summer with their family. And so they contacted me wanting to understand what their rights are vis-a-vis the homeowner of the cottage. Now, uh, what I explained to them is, look, uh, you know, the homeowner from the cottage has an obligation here to ensure that the premises are safe. This falls under the law of occupier's liability in Ontario, which says that premises must be safe, reasonably safe for patrons. And uh, in this case, obviously, that was not the case. There were building code violations. There were other issues. And they're entitled to compensation now. This gentleman who now has a broken leg, who underwent surgery, and God knows what else he's going to have, not to mention issues with work, right? I mentioned he's on his feet 8 to 10 hours a day. He's going to have issues there. He's entitled now to significant compensation. The homeowner or the cottage owner is going to have to notify his insurance company and make sure that they're on standby 
and that they are aware of this claim because this is the kind of claim I can tell you, John, without telling you more detail, and there is more detail here, but I have to keep you know confidentiality uh, sure. uh, here. Uh, I can tell you this is a claim that could easily reach into the mid six figures. Wow. Okay, so we're talking about five hundred, six hundred, even seven hundred thousand dollars. Just, just my preliminary assessment of this case. And so people need to understand that when they're injured as a result of someone else's negligence, they have an entitlement under our laws in Ontario for compensation. And generally speaking, it's not the individual, of course, who caused the negligence that's going to be paying this. It's the insurance company behind them. It's the insurance company of the house. If it's a car accident, it's the insurance company of the vehicle that whoever was driving caused the accident is going to be paying so it's really important to understand that you are entitled to compensation. Sometimes you may not think that you're entitled to it. And sometimes you may think that the compensation is not significant. Well, you will never know unless you get proper legal advice. And of course, it doesn't cost anything to speak to myself, to Albert, to any member of our team at any point, at least get the information you need so that you know what your options are. So I'm glad that they called me because there are a lot of issues here that we had to deal with and I had to explain to them and they're going to pursue that compensation because he's been permanently injured. There's going to be permanent and residual issues and his income loss, as you can appreciate, is going to be significant here, not to mention other kinds of damages and losses that he can get compensated for. So I urge everyone out there, if you're in that situation, give us a call just so you understand what your options are, what your rights are, and then you'll know how to proceed. And again, reaching out, guys, one 821 5900 toll-free, help at disabilityrights.ca, no matter the uh, the situation you're in. At least call uh, Savannah or Albert, have a chat, and get some get some clarity for sure. Albert, what you uh, what do you got going on today, pal? Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess a sim- similar sort of message here in, in that really there's no substitute for calling a lawyer right away. you got to call someone immediately the second that you realize that you've been injured and that it wasn't your fault uh, and you potentially want to pursue a claim you have to speak to a lawyer to find out what your rights are i mean i spoke with a friend of a friend a few months ago who is somewhat rightly informed and so they were of the mindset that generally speaking they have two years to sue from the time that they were injured which is generally correct and Mm -hmm. so as a result this friend of a friend actually didn't end up suing didn't end up starting a legal claim because they thought they were out of time to do that. And so generally speaking, these this two-year period where you have the time to commence a legal claim is called a limitation period. Right. And so generally speaking, even though someone says, I don't have a claim or I'm completely out of time, it's still worthwhile to investigate whether they're right. And so I spoke to this woman and I realized that in fact, she wasn't out of time. What she didn't know was that the courts, sort of recently across the pandemic and across Canada, shut down for a period of time. And as a response, a number of the different legislators actually extended that limitation period by a bit of time. And it changes uh, depending on which province you're actually in. But as a result, she actually wasn't out of time at all. And she had plenty of time to commence a claim. Well, not plenty of time. She actually only had four four days from the time that she actually spoke with me, which is kind of crazy. So had she waited a week, let's say, she then would have been out of time. But really the point the, the point of this story is that had she not spoken with anyone who actually told her that in some instances it isn't two years, she would have just not had any compensation for her claim. And yeah. her claim is easily within 
I mean, uh, uh, this 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 woman this woman is in a high high paying marketing job or was in a high paying marketing job, making over a hundred thousand dollars a year, and so easily this claim could extend into the six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars, maybe even a million dollars, and it's just very unfortunate because she's going to need a lot of support. She's still suffering from a lot of dizziness, a lot of vision issues, and it's unfortunate that uh, that no one had told her sort of sooner that she actually had a claim. So I'm glad I spoke with her, but at the end of the day, you have to speak with people as soon as possible or speak with a lawyer as soon as possible. And you know how to do that. I'll keep giving you that number till you uh, gets burned into your memory, one 821 5900 as we continue here on the uh, Friday edition of the Disability Law Show. Invisible injuries, Savannah, I mentioned that off the top, invisible injuries. I know this sometimes when dealing with insurance companies can really stick in your craw. But uh, what do you mean by it? Break it down. So when I say invisible injuries, I don't mean that the injuries are invisible. Clearly for the person who's suffering from certain types of illnesses or injuries, they're real to them. But insurance companies don't necessarily see them in other words, they have to do with credibility. They have to do with things that don't show up necessarily on an x-ray or an MRI or a city scan. Uh, imagine if you have chronic pain in your back, but the doctor's saying the x-rays are showing nothing. What if you have migraines? And so the problem is that when you're dealing with these kinds of injuries, uh, or not even physical ones, imagine psychological injuries, trauma, PTSD as a result of an accident. Insurance companies are going to be a lot more skeptical than if you just simply show them an x-ray that shows a broken bone. It's unfortunate because the reality is that many of these other injuries, which again, we can term as invisible injuries, meaning you cannot see them on an x-ray or an imaging, uh, insurance companies oftentimes take the position that because those are not objective injuries, in other words, we cannot see them on an x-ray, we're going to pay you less. And there are strategies of getting around that. And a good personal injury lawyer will explain to you exactly what kind of things you can do to strengthen your claim. And if the lawyer doesn't explain that to you or you don't do these things, the reality is that the insurance company is going to put less money on the table when it comes time to talk settlement. So kind of the kind of things, John, that people can do to strengthen those kinds of claims is doing treatments. Clearly, if you're not undergoing treatments for your injury, mm-hmm. the insurance company is going to take the position, well, if you're not taking treatments, not doing treatments, how bad can it be? Uh, get specialists involved. If you only have your family doctor, nothing against family doctors. I mean, I have a family doctor who's great, but if I have a psychological issue, if I have a concussion, if I have fibromyalgia, chronic pain, I want to go to specialists because going to these specialists indicates to the insurance company that now you are seeking more advanced help. I mean, other than the fact that it can actually help you, it actually also helps your legal claim. So there are many strategies like that you can do to strengthen those kinds of claims and don't be fooled by an insurance company telling you, oh, this, this injury is not objective, so therefore we're not going to pay you. We're not going to pay you as much. Oftentimes, these kinds of injuries actually get, you know, garner even more money, even more compensation than the objective injuries where you can get a very simple uh, um, uh, treatment uh, or, or, or just dealing with them in a very simple way. And with that, guys, first break coming up. As mentioned, Matt, uh, bounce over to some email. Even if your uh, your email doesn't appear on this show, doesn't mean you can't send it along anytime. Savan, Albert, all their team, and everybody else at the firm always uh, ready and standing by to answer any questions you have. Have that conversation toll free one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred, and then email address is help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll continue more disability law show is on the way. Hang on. All right, thanks for hanging on. 
Disability Law Show on a Friday evening. Good to have you along. Savannah Tamarkin here, of course, co-founding partner, Sam Firu Tamarkin, LLP, and Albert Klein. Also alongside answering your questions anytime. I mentioned getting into some email, guys. We'll get to a couple here. With the remaining time of the show, help at disabilityrights.ca. I want to mention as well, there's another place for you to ask questions anytime. It's anonymous. It's uh, it's free, of course, mydisabilityquestions.com. And they will get answered with a reply. One of your uh, questions may appear on a future show for sure. But email from Bilal right now says, hey, guys, my wife fell just outside her workplace building on ice back in February and tore her meniscus in her left knee. We were told that she would file for WSIB, and she did, but she was denied, and we're wondering what to do now. She's still off work and has a uh, surgery scheduled. We're not sure what we should do. What do you guys think? So generally speaking, these matters, any time that someone is injured at work or injured at the workplace, Uh, It can be a little bit complex, and generally speaking, once again, you want to speak with a lawyer as soon as possible. I'm happy to speak with you, Bilal, or speak with your wife. I'm very sorry that she was involved in a a fall or in an accident. Uh, But generally speaking, workers' compensation board claims and personal injury claims generally don't mix. You can either do one or you can do the other. And whether you're allowed to sue actually depends on how your particular employer is classified from a WSB perspective. So I don't really want to get too in, into the nitty gritty of it, uh, but, but it can be a little bit complicated. And generally speaking, you want to speak with someone as soon as possible, even before you file, file for WSIB, because sometimes making a determination can uh, preclude you from going in the other direction and actually advancing a personal injury claim. So once again, Bilal, happy to speak with you or your wife. I don't know, anything to add to them? Here's the thing. If you went to a lawyer below, uh, your wife went to a lawyer, and, and that lawyer didn't really understand this. That lawyer maybe does family law, real estate, criminal, something else. Doesn't really specialize in this area of law, injury law, disability law. That other lawyer may say, oh, it, it's okay. It's, it's not a problem. Uh, she, she can appeal the WSAB uh, denial, and at the same time, we can start a claim for compensation. The problem there is that if he starts the claim for compensation and then subsequently she gets approved on appeal for WSIB, that WSIB claim essentially bars her potentially from the claim for compensation. But the other, the more complicated issue is that by starting that personal injury claim for compensation, now there is an insurance company involved, there is a lawyer involved, and that could backfire because now they can say, well, you should not have started that claim in the first place. So I don't want to overcomplicate this for people, John, but mm-hmm. suffice it to say that Albert's correct. She can be entitled here to significant compensation. By the way, meniscus injuries in the knee oftentimes result in permanent impairments to the knee. Again, that leads to mobility issues. That's going to impact her ability to work. It's going to impact her ability to do things at home. So it's not just pain and suffering damages you could be entitled to, maybe 40, 50, 60, maybe $70,000 just for the pain and suffering, but maybe income loss, okay? And who knows what the income loss here, we don't have details. But if she's, for example, somebody who earns $50,000 a year and because of this, she can only now earn $25,000 a year because she's unable you know, to continue, continue working in the same capacity. Well, let's say that that's the case for the next three years. For the next three years then, total, she loses $75,000 in income loss. So wow. between that and her pain and suffering alone, that claim is potentially worth $150,000. Add to that other damages, add to that what 
the husband may be entitled to because his wife was injured and under the legislation we have family members are oftentimes able to pursue their own derivative claims for compensation because these injuries that happen to their family members affects them so you see how you these kinds of claims can add up very very fast and you have to make sure that you get the right lawyer involved the goal for us is to educate you to give you the information that's what we're doing this show that's why on our website there's a lot of information and at the end of the day it's going to be your decision you and your family must decide so Bilal we can get in touch after the show we can talk about this tell you exactly what you guys need to understand specific to your situation and then you and your wife can make a decision on how to proceed want to get into uh, Sonny's email here guys with the remaining time uh, came through uh, Sonny says I was driving with a friend of mine back in January he was the driver and he rear-ended another car it's a pretty bad collision, pretty hard collision, and the police uh, and ambulance came. I was taken to a local hospital and injured pretty badly with my back. I have a lot of pain there, and an MRI showed a disc herniation. I have a lot of difficulty walking. I haven't been able to work since then. I'm a deli manager at a supermarket. I'm getting some benefits from my friend's car insurer, but I'm wondering if I can get any other compensation because I'm afraid my injuries may be permanent. This is an issue, uh, Sonny, that uh, Albert and I have dealt before quite a few times. Uh, John, this is an interesting scenario because in many instances when you're dealing with a car accident, when the person at fault is the driver and the person who's injured is a passenger, you can have a wife-husband situation, you can have a friend situation. You almost feel kind of strange even contemplating asking for compensation because at the end of the day, it's not somebody else, somebody you don't know that hits you right, uh, from behind. In this case, it was Sonny's friend who was responsible for rear-ending the driver or the car that was in front of them. Well, Sonny is entitled to compensation, and he's entitled to compensation from the insurance company of the vehicle that they were both in. The claim, legal claim, would be against Sonny's friend, because Sonny's friend was the one negligent here, he was the one responsible, but the reality is that Sonny's friend is not going to pay anything for that compensation mm -hmm. it's the insurance company that you're going after right you need to understand that and, and many people unfortunately have this block and i understand that completely what do you mean i have to start a legal claim against my wife who's driving the car or my husband right. or my good friend but, you know i mean how can i do that of course i understand that concern but if your injuries are serious potentially permanent as they seem to be here with sunny right with his back injury with everything disc herniation you know, you need to think about compensation from the insurance company of that vehicle, the vehicle you were in. And the claim would be framed as against your friend. But again, it's not personal. It's making sure that you can access the compensation, the money you're owed from the insurance company of the vehicle that you were in at the time that this happened, Sonny. And I'm telling you, this kind of a claim, assuming he's unable to work into the future or has issues working into the future, we again, we're looking at compensation in the six figures at a minimum. This is not a case just from the details we've been provided, John, where I would tell you, you know what, just don't worry about it. If you feel bad about going, you know, starting a claim against your friend, just don't, don't, don't do it. So really, really important to understand that the fact that you were in a car together with someone close to you who was responsible for the accident and you're now injured, don't let that prevent you from contemplating and thinking about a potential claim that would involve the driver, the person close to you, but realistically and pragmatically uh, would mean that you would be able to access money from the insurance company of that vehicle. Albert, what do you think, pal? Absolutely. I mean, I, I conceptually had to get over this hump with 
with one of my clients and uh, it, was, it was kind of a funny situation. Similarly so, I mean, she was so badly injured, but she felt so bad for the driver that actually caused all of her long-standing injuries that for the longest time she just refused to start a legal claim. And I mean, conceptually, you need to understand that you're not doing, you're not starting a legal claim against the driver that hit you and they're not the ones that are directly paying you, it's the insurance company. And that's why we have insurance in the first place. So absolutely, that's how you have to conceptually think about it. And that's why we have insurance in the first place. So absolutely, Savannah's 100% right. Yeah, I guess it, it just it's a big hump to get over that feeling of, oh, I don't want to go after my buddy, right? But, uh, you know, the last couple, I mean, that was in January for Sonny, and before that we had Bilal was also in February. People falling on ice in Savannah in the winter are injured. Um, who's responsible? And I think it speaks to the fact that you should have some contemporaneous records, right? Take pictures. Everybody's got a phone, right? Yeah, we talk about this all the time. In terms of who's responsible, this is, again, something that a lot of people don't understand. And many lawyers even miss this. Albert and I have seen this when we've taken over files from other lawyers who simply did not understand how to proceed with a slip and fall claim. It seems obvious, right? Mm-hmm, you yeah. walk outside a grocery store, as an example, on a pl- in a plaza, you slip and fall on, on black ice, You something happens, you break your knee, you tear your shoulder, it's a serious injury. And you go to a lawyer and the lawyer says, oh, it's the grocery store that's responsible. Well, not necessarily. Who is responsible for that area at that particular time? Is it the grocery store? Is it the owner of the plaza? Is it a third-party winter maintenance contractor, perhaps? What if that winter maintenance contract subcontracted to another winter maintenance contractor? You know, it really depends. But you as a lay person who's injured, you don't care. All you know is you've been injured. It wasn't your fault. You're entitled to compensation because you were injured, and you were injured because there was a dangerous situation, condition that was left unattended, and you need to understand what your options are. And so we do that due diligence for you. We send out the appropriate letters. We do searches on the property to figure out who's responsible, who owns the area. So we know how to deal with it, and the key is to make sure we get everyone that is potentially involved here in making this un. Uh, um, a safe area unsafe, uh, we get them to the table because at the end of the day, when it comes time to negotiate compensation for you, for your injuries, we want to make sure that all the necessary pockets are there. All the insurance companies involved are there. If it's one insurance company, great. If it's four, even better. But that's absolutely key. And in terms of contemporaneous records, Albert's spoken about this a lot. And I'm sure he's going to uh, uh, you know, speak about this again over and over as we do these shows. Because that's absolutely crucial to get these contemporaneous records, these photographs, videos. If you can't do it, get a friend, get a family member, somebody to do it. If you take photos or videos of the area where you fell, a day later, it's better than a week later. A week later means nothing, right? Because by then, things, you know, the ice would have melted potentially. Contractors would have come in and done stuff. It doesn't mean anything. If you or someone you know can take videos or photos of the area where you fell, either around the same time when you fell or an hour later, basically the longer you wait, the less force those records have. The more the other side can argue, well, that's not how it looked when the injury happened. So keep that in mind because that could make or break a case. 
Guys, that is it for another Friday. Enjoy your weekend, but moving forward, you want to reach out to Albert or Savannah. They're always willing and ready and uh, eager to take your call and correspondence as well. The email address we always use, you can as well. Your email might appear on the show later on, right? Help at disabilityrights.ca. The number toll-free anytime. Again, no charge for a chat, 1-855-821-5900. And for more questions, you can lay them down at mydisabilityquestions.com. And we'll catch you again the next edition of the Disability Law Show.